across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Delicious. <laughs> Good afternoon, welcome to Flavour, the food and drink programme for Cambridge and the surrounding areas with Sue Bailey and me, Matt Bentman. Our colleague Alan Alder is away at the moment, but he will be back for the next episode. So, thanks to Ian Dayborn for the last two hours, and on today's programme, we celebrate British food fortnight with a trip to All Saints Passage and to see the Cambridge Cheese Company. And we go to Vanderlyle in Mill Road for a chat about how they're coping and whether they have any plans for opening up for indoor eating again soon. We visit Co Farm, Cambridge's first community farm on Barnwell Road, and we also talk with Dave Fox from Trumpington Allotments about how this year's growing season has been affected by some extraordinary weather, and how to prepare for next year. And throughout the programme, we'll be bringing you food and drink news in and around Cambridge. Tequila! So, on to our first feature. It's autumn, a new 10pm curfew is making many businesses adjust their reservations and opening times, and you can kind of feel the weight of restrictions on our own movements looming. But there are some places where it is still good to get out, where there's still freedom, safe social distancing, and doing good for the community. Like working outdoors, picking veg in the autumn sun. Okay, it may be chilly now, but it'll warm up. Now, plenty has been written about Co-Farm, Cambridge's first community farm site, and you can find those articles in The Guardian and The Cambridge Independent, for example. So, for this feature, I wanted to concentrate more on the volunteers' point of view, how it would feel if you went there. In a field just off Barnwell Road, there's a whole lot of digging going on, and planting, and harvesting. It looks great in the sunshine. What was once a bare field is now yielding large amounts of veg for local food banks. This is Co-Farm, and it smells great. We're just getting wafts of this lovely breeze and the, something coming off the flowers, I guess. It's just sweet air and it's just it's stunning. Yeah. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah, so we are standing in a fenced two-acre plot. Surrounding us are rows of vegetables of all different kinds. And we've got everything from lettuce to fennel. We even are growing aubergine here, which astounds me. And it gives me hope <laughs> that we can actually grow things like that here. They grow everything here. Half of the area, it's full of vegetables, from tomatoes to smashing, pumping, sorry. But the other half, it's full of, I think that they call it cover plant or something similar. Mm. The cover crop is going to put more nutrients back into the soil. That's the hope anyway. And everything on the interior of this fence will then be cultivated. So we'll be growing vegetables on every inch of it. Some are deterrent for insects, some are for enriching the soil. Mm. So it's quite interesting. And it's quite unusual to see that mix of poppies and cornflowers and daisies and everything. I don't even know what they all are, but it just looked incredible. And these bees going like, I'm a happy bee business. (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) I really want it. 
eat the whole mm. field. It looks so nice. <laughs> so you're quite inspired, aren't you? Yeah. And I'm learning such a lot, really. Apparently, the, well, the ponds do, you know, keep the wildlife, which means they can keep down things like aphids, mm. slugs. I mean, I've got in my garden, I've got loads of frogs, and they keep the slugs down. And I, you know, you have you have to sort of pair things together to keep the balance, don't you? And and then I I learnt something really interesting that that a lot of orchards used to have ponds, and apparently it, it kept the, um, the temperature sort of more even in the orchard. And so, you know, it's so interesting learning all these little sort of ecological things, you know, it's really interesting to, to find out. There are many volunteers. Hello. Hello. Uh, Millie, this place is beautiful. Just as you're spraying the celeriac here, I can see the rainbows forming in the water. Yeah, it's very relaxing to come out here. This is the third time I've come here now. Okay. I've come here like five or six Sundays. Mm. It's, it's great. It's amazing. It's, it's lovely. Isn't it nice to have fresh vegetables? Oh, yeah. Like, there's honestly so much. So I'm watering the celeriac at the moment. There's <laughs> tomatoes on my left, winter spinach that I've just watered. Then there's beans. There's just about everything here, to be honest. There's even a black tomato bush. I haven't tasted yet, but a bit of a novelty. They, they come up split, you can eat them. It's like, oh, there's no one will eat it. We cannot give it away. Huh? One for me. That's <laughs> a good thing. Yeah, because yeah. we make an effort to go to pick your owns and things at the right time of year out of town. But this is something else. Well, I've never seen those yellow beans before. No, no. <laughs> Cheap tip. Cheap beans. <laughs> Looks like one. So delicious. They're really good. They're annalino. Annalino. <coughs> Italian shrimp bean. Okay. Just collecting some tomatoes, beetroot and some beans. I just already feel like I've learned so much. <laughs> Such a productive morning for me. Yeah. So let's do that before the planes come again. I love the freshwater smell. Because <laughs> it hits the soil. It's lovely. Sure. What is it we're watering here? It's spinach. Spinach? Yeah, spinach. We planted it on Tuesday. Uh-huh. And when it is watered, we will, we will need to cover it with that leaves because of the pigeons. Ah. They are waiting in the bushes <laughs> for it. Bless them. You look at the rows of brassicas. And everything's so beautifully regimented, immaculately looked after and planted, and that's replicated for all the different types of vegetables. Co-Farm started just a few months ago. I think it's been going since June, hasn't it? Yeah. And I know there are people who've been here all the time, but I like gardens and uh, gardening and all the rest of it. <laughs> I feel, having looked at this, that I know nothing, <laughs> and I just don't know how to grow anything. Um, and I wish I could sort of grow stuff so success successfully in the allotment, but hopefully I'll be able to transfer some of that knowledge and do what I'm doing better. <laughs> and there are many varieties of vegetables, so it's mm. interesting to discover not uh, tomato or carrot, but many varieties yeah. of these that exist and the way they taste is different, the way they grow, etc. It's a very nice kind of community feel here as well. Everybody mm. helping each other. And mm. I have learned from this lovely lady today so a few <laughs> tips as well, which is really nice. It's also been very welcoming and very easy to just sign up for and turn up and start doing something. Yeah. Like, I don't really know anything about farming outside of this space. And I feel like Pete and Dom were very good at setting you up to do whatever mm, you need to do. Yeah. And giving you interesting little snippets as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
One of the recurring comments from the volunteers here is just how much they're learning, how well they're learning. I mean, I never even knew that I didn't know. And that is due to the horticulturalists Pete Rapson and Dom Walsh. Those guys, they're always here, they're always helpful. The sounds as well, the air is punctuated by their conversations, the low hum and uh, laughter in the distance. It's just, it's a joy to be here. And of course the sun is shining today, so it's even better. I feel also, for me, it was a great motivation, just the whole concept. I just really loved it, to do something beyond yourself. This was like something which kind of helped me to wake up early today. (laughs) To be honest, I'm so impressed how quick you can learn and there's so many people to teach you as well, like giving you a few tips, so yeah. I wandered over to a lady who had a whole row of veg to herself. She was checking the bulbs beneath the plump green leaves. So I've got to look for the big ones and not pick up the small ones, so I'll be rummaging. What is it that you're picking? Beetroots. Here's one. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a good sound effect? Yeah. So you separate the bulb from the leaves? Yeah, apparently. I was just told it's quite interesting. We learn all sorts of little things, but apparently if you twist it, it doesn't bleed. If you cut it, it bleeds. With with the beetrooty red. Yes. You learn all sorts of little little things like that. Some of these are quite small. Oh, here's a big one. That'll do. That's glorious. So, yes, it is, isn't it? So, so you twist it apparently like this, and uh, apparently you can eat these, but we're not doing that on this occasion. I never knew they just sit above the ground like that once they're uh, ready. No, I didn't. No, my my father used to grow these. I thought I knew all about it, but I, I realised I'd never picked them. He always picked them. So I've learnt. <laughs> Like such a mixture of vegetables and all the other spaces just filled up with more wildflowers than I've ever seen, actually. And all growing wherever they feel like, though that's probably not actually where they're growing. But um, it's lovely. Yeah. Different season, you learn different things. And I think it will be nice just to learn about different vegetables. Uh, the moment I have got a pretty good experience now <laughs> harvesting. Uh-huh. I'm very happy. Yeah, very happy. Yeah, if you get up close to the corn, as the wind's blowing through it, the rustle of the leaves make is a gorgeous sound. You should get right in the middle of it. It's lovely. Are we coming towards the end of the day now? Um, what time is it? I think it's nearly four. That's a quick few hours, isn't it? It doesn't yeah. seem it's by. It's so hot. It wouldn't. It seems like two. Not four. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Mm. And when enjoy you doing things, it's like time. Yeah. Fun, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So I better get on with the fennel picking before I go then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to pick fennel. Yeah, yeah you got to pick yeah. fennel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did that like, last week. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it's outdoors, I love to do uh, outdoors exercises. Mm. I mean, it's only, what, a mile and a half to city centre, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Leo? <laughs> I love it. This is stuff that you... you if nobody teaches you, it's hard to learn. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we definitely want to come. And quite a few of these people I've been speaking to today, it's their first time here. Right, wow. Know, they're just having a nice time and enjoying yeah. the day, really. Yeah. And so they're just happy to be out. Yeah, well, it's perfect. I mean, I just I would recommend it to anyone just to come and stand on the edge and have a look in. That's, you know, what we did. And then they happened to be open today. But um, what an amazing... Like, yeah. Bring a spade and so much you can do here. <laughs> you want to get stuck in, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> what do you, what, if you could eat one thing, what would you eat right now? Mm. Some of those really fresh cucumbers from the box. 
but also one of the big reasons why I'm volunteering is the fact that then the food all, all gets donated to local food banks. So on a bi, tri-weekly basis, there's a big picking effort here and it's all packaged up so it's, it gets to the food banks as fresh as possible just hours after it's been picked. So people who haven't got the resources actually have access to fresh, healthy produce. It's just a really nice way of getting a lot of people in touch with kind of like a seasonal growing calendar that you really don't have if you're just buying all your food from the local supermarket. You know, you need to make the effort at the first to go and try something new. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I love it, so <laughs> just keep coming back. I feel like a rabbit eating carrots. <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to hate eating stuff like this, but now they're great. Yeah, they're just really too much processed food. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to the beginning, back to the basics. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to make a move because I need to put this stuff together. Okay. So I'm just going to say a quick goodbye. Okay, and bye. Nice to meet you all. Come back and volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you don't have to come all of the time. Just, you know, if you want to just come once and experience the place and just volunteer, then that's perfect. If you want to come back, even better. <laughs> all right, thank yeah. you very much. Nice to meet you. Cheers. Yeah, have thank a good you. one. Cheers. Take care. Yeah, no, nice to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice to, to meet you. Bye bye. Bye bye. I'll see you, Greg. Okay. See you. Bye-bye. <laughs> it's so relaxing. Yeah, it's, it's a lovely so day. Like, I wouldn't be doing anything else if I wasn't doing this. It's just a really nice way to spend a weekend. Those were the volunteers at CoFarm Cambridge on Barnwell Road. More are always welcome. They have a volunteer page on their website, which is cofarm.co. That's all it is. It sounds a little bit unusual, doesn't it? But it's C-O-F-A-R-M. Co, cofarm.co. All the crops harvested go to the local community food hubs and food banks to providing free food to those in need. And you can find out all about that if you visit the website cambridgesustainablefood.org and their page COVID-19 Alliance. Every good bit of info and every link is there. Donations are also accepted at the CoFarm project. It all helps keep the system running and enables them to tackle health inequalities which are especially prevalent in a city such as Cambridge. There is a donate button on their homepage at cofarm.co. And finally, there is also a really good interview with the founder of CoFarm, Gavin Shelton, on the website happycommunications.co.uk, where he discusses just what it took to create his vision. Really good stuff. Okay, time for some news now, and good news for purveyors of olives, herbs, nuts, spices, muesli, loose-leaf tea and coffee beans. Julia and Tracy, who run Emerald Foods, are returning to Cambridge Market on Tuesday the 6th of October. In the meantime, you can still order their goods, and they will get them out to you by courier. For local residents with CB postcodes who would usually come to the market stall in person, Emerald Foods are offering half-price next-day delivery with DHL for $3.99 on any orders over 1.75 kilograms and a minimum spend of £20. And for those CB postcode residents who place orders for less than 1.75 kilograms with a minimum spend of £20, Emerald Foods will send you your goods for free via Royal Mail second-class post. You can request a full product list that Emerald Foods have. It's full of interesting things such as ooh, seaweed peanut crackers, black flame raisins and banana tea. So many things. Just head to their website. It's emeraldfoods.co.uk.
On the corner of Green End and Scotland Road in Chesterton, you'll find a new food truck called Vonnie's Balkan Express. It's there every Thursday to Saturday and specialises in Eastern European food, like chapavi, which are smoky-flavoured grilled sausages made without skins, comprising of a mix of beef, lamb and pork, an old Balkan recipe. They also serve goulash and poussage, amongst other things on their menu, that's the Vonnie's Balkan Express food truck in Chesterton. Some sad news now. Paolo and Jane, the landlords of the Kingston Arms on Kingston Street, have announced that they're leaving. They run it for the last 20 years. They've had such a great time, but they've decided to call time. Wednesday the 30th of September will be the final night, and over the final few days, their menu will change as they try to use up all of their remaining stock. So they'll be having blowout prices on their menu, and all bottled beers will be half price until Wednesday. So, fill your boots. We wish you all the best, Paolo and Jane. One of my favourite features I've ever made for this programme was about your pub five years ago. And uh, best of luck to the new landlords. And if you're a fan of the two-star Michelin Midsummer House, run by chef patron Daniel Clifford and head chef Mark Abbott, they are now offering Sunday reservations. Limited dates are available from now through to December and you can book a table via their website, midsummerhouse.co.uk. Last Saturday, Alan popped into Vanderlyle whilst they were busy preparing food for customers to take away. He spoke with Chef Lawrence Butler about the success the restaurant was enjoying. You seem to be doing very well. You're certainly getting lots of plaudits. I think, it I think has been terribly difficult to get a booking. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, I feel like we've been very, very fortunate and lucky in that day. I think that uh, we have uh, an amazing selection of customers who've been supporting us the entire way through this. And I'm so thankful for that. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, we, we have we have seem to have found have found a way to keep ourselves busy through this time. But. We're always, always trying to think of ways that we can get people back in here in, in, in some way. Well, and reopening. Hoping, hoping, hoping to figure something out at, at some point soon, but with, with all of the news that keeps coming out, it's, it's just, you know, it's, uh, you, you make one forward step with planning and then you make two, two back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as far as profitability is concerned, it you're selling a lot more dishes than you were, aren't you? It's a, I mean, we've set for a different price point, so we were trying to trying to. At the first first when we we started and changed from uh, the menu we were doing, our, our, our only goal was to try and feed as many people as possible, just because people needed some you know nice food to keep themselves sane through what was a really uncertain and strange time when everything was closing. And that that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to keep ourselves busy feeding people, and also just kind of have. Uh, the bags evolved and it was like a family meal style thing you know we want to get people some you know wholesome sustaining grub with, with a little twist of our, our kind of style um, but yeah I mean we, we are doing we are doing more covers than we were but it's a lower price um, we, we're keeping ourselves afloat Waiting, waiting for a time that we can come back. <laughs> yeah, but when you when you come back, if things are still uh, difficult, so you have to space people out more, mm. your your income will be less because you've got fewer. Yeah, so we we're, we're lucky enough that the concept that we had in the first place was was for a small number of uh, people. We we 
used to be able to fit 26 people in there here, but um, that was with a fairly, fairly, you know, uh, generous amount of space between tables already. So should be able to do not too many fewer than that, and still maintain very, very decent uh, social distancing. Um, but we haven't we haven't figured out exactly what that would look like yet. So can't say an exact number or, or exactly yeah. how that would shape up, but. Um, you know, we've, we've got a small team and a small restaurant and it's, 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 you know, a small number of covers comparatively to, to some other restaurants so it should, should, be, should be something we can figure out and you haven't got any outdoor space at the back that you can not that anyone would want to sit, <laughs> sit <in here. laughs> right okay. and out the front it's not, uh, it's not ideal either. no <laughs> <laughs> right so you've got to make this inside thing work so you were originally I think you originally said you wouldn't reopen this year is that still looking to be the case I think un- unfortunately probably yeah. I-, I would never say never but with, with all the news being uh, announced at the moment um, I find it hard to hard to think otherwise yeah right okay and you're not finding it difficult to come up with new menus by the look of things uh, no I mean we change our menu every two weeks uh, at the moment which uh, you know is a, is a nice challenge for us to, to keep thinking on our feet that, uh, that regularly but uh, it, it's good it keeps us keeps us engaged and challenged and yeah. hopefully that means the food that we're making is better as well <laughs> well it, it is superb so you know, oh, thank you very much <laughs> I'm sure lots of people have said it but it is yeah great okay thanks very much thank you and that was Lawrence Butler from Vandalisle in Mill Road and it's really good to hear how things are going for them I'm free where we would normally bring you details of free food available now in and around Cambridge, but we can tell you that the information comes from the Olio app, which is free to download. Yeah, the Olio app is becoming more important than ever in these harsh times. The name Olio is featuring a lot in the media these days, and why not? You know, it's a great idea. They're advertising on TV now. Free food available for pickup at various points around the city. So, some examples of what's recently been available include celery, fennel, hot dogs, plenty of items from Pret-a-Manger too, like hot croissants, macaroni dishes, toasted sandwiches, baguettes and salads. And separate to Pret's, there was also tuna, pastries, breakfast pots, fresh Moroccan mint, parsnips, plenty of overripe bananas to make some great banana bread or smoothies, even a sourdough starter. All of these things have recently featured on Olio. And the other free app we like to remind you of is called Too Good To Go. It's used by food outlets to reduce waste by selling off cheaply anything they expect to have unsold by the end of the day. Yeah. Now, before we head into our next feature, let's have a quick bit of food news. Mark Poynton at the Shepherds in Fenditton is creating new dishes, plant-based ones, including such things as tandoori roasted cauliflower, which is part of a new dish that went on as of Friday. Mark's been on flavour several times over the years, and you can check out his weekly menu for other wonderful things such as ale and treacle sourdough with fen farm butter, freshly cooked for each service. Or barbecued mackerel with cuttlefish and mackerel bolognese with ink quaver. And for those with a real sweet tooth, that's me, (laughs) apricot and almond battenberg with amaretto. And that is just a few of the things on offer. He also does delivery options, Just check out his website, mjprestaurant.com. 
Wine of the Week at the Cambridge Wine Merchants is Chateau Franc Bordron 2014 Montagne Saint-Emilion at $13.99 a bottle, which tastes of blackberry, pepper and cocoa. Mmm, a great companion to an autumn Sunday roast. They're a great independent and one National Wine Shop of the Year at the Decant Retailer Awards this year. Good for them. Speaking of wines, Tom Lewis, also known as the Cambridge Wine Blogger and a regular on our programme from several years ago, this week published a food pairing post on his blog. That is cream sherry and burgers, and he lists his reason for why this combination works. It's well worth a read, as is his blog in general, as he's a bit of a star in the wine world, and he has lots of good advice on bottles from specialist wine shops in Cambridge. He's got plenty to say about the Copper Crew too, a team from Cottenham who produce canned wines, and they were on flavour just last month. Anyway, his blog has bookfuls of good wine info and you can find it by typing in cambridgewineblogger.com to a search engine of your choice cambridge 105 radio cambridge breakfast with julian clover and lucy Milazzo. it's the breakfast show that's all about cambridge we've got the news national and local travel updates from the a14 to milton Road and all stations to cambridge the people and the places plus guests in our friday food club cambridge juice all the new things to do in the city our daily quiz oh yes questions questions with lucian and all request Jukebox Friday. And don't forget the coffee. Cambridge Breakfast with Julian Clover and Lucy Milazzo. Here with a fresh blend weekday mornings from 7. What's in your spare room? Christmas decorations? Maybe an old exercise bike? Could you give that room to a young person along with a fresh start? St Christopher's Fellowship is looking for people to become foster carers in Cambridgeshire to provide safe, caring homes for teenagers who need help. And because we've been working to improve young people's lives since 1870, you can trust that you're not on your own. You'll receive regular training, dedicated social worker support and space to share experiences with other carers. It's more than a spare room, it's a brighter future. Call 0800 234 6282 or visit stchris.org.uk slash fostering. St Christopher's, creating brighter futures. Hi, Pam here. Are you tired of the same old shops? Drop into Fantasia on Mill Road near Parker's Peace. Enter our treasure cave full of fine clothing and exotic homewares. Natural materials, uplifting ambiance, mood improvement guaranteed. Perk up your wardrobe, your home, your life. Dare to shop different. Fantasia, 64 Mill Road, Cambridge. Fantasia.uk.com. For opening times, please see fantasia.uk.com. Cambridge 105 Radio. I was very pleased to become a Love British Food Ambassador recently, and given that we're in the middle of British Food Fortnight that celebrates seasonality and the diverse and delicious foods made in Britain, I went along to one of the best known independent food shops locally, the Cambridge Cheese Company. I'm talking to Jackie, who is co-owner with her husband, Paul, of Cambridge Cheese Company, that well-known shop in All Saints Passage. Jackie, how long have you been here? We started, I think it was 1994. We're just coming to the end of our 26th year. We must be doing something right, because we're still here, so that's good. But if anybody had said to me, even like 20 years ago, you're going to spend your life... (laughs) 
in a cheese shop selling cheese and eating cheese, I probably would have said, don't think so. Uh, but I have, and it's been an amazing journey. We've learned so many things. You know, it's really brought me very close to the guts of being a human. It's like you, you, you're born, you live, you eat and you die. And the eating bit is the bit which we all have to do. Why not make it pleasurable? So. Exactly. What's the, what's the equivalent of a polyglot, but for food, a polyvore? <laughs> polyvore, I like that. Name. Yes, yes, I like to. I really enjoy, I think for me, it feels like um, cheese is great. And it's one of those really magical foods like bread and like wine, where the cheesemakers who make it are actually working with a, a live product. And there's something very alchemical that happens when uh, a cheesemaker gets a recipe and works to produce a cheese that they have in their head. They have an idea of the of the recipe before they even start out. So I love that from three simple ingredients, salt, uh, milk and rennet, uh, or rennet equivalent if you're vegetarian, you can make cheese in so many ways. Hard, soft, blue, strong, mild, creamy, crumbly, you name it, there's a different kind of cheese. So I think that's what I really love about cheese. It's a, you know, you're not working with something that's produced to one particular standard. It's a very variable product. Mm. And so, in fact, how many cheeses do you have? Probably have around about 100, but our full stock list is nearer 250 to 300. It does, it varies because things sometimes are harder to come by or the the producers, you know, come and go a little bit. Um, we, we do buy seasonally. So some cheeses you just wouldn't find in the summer months and conversely, you wouldn't find the summer cheeses in the winter months. So, or if you would, they're not always as tasty as they, they are in the summer. So we, we tend to put those into hibernation and, mm. and come back to them when the weather's better. Does that apply to English cheeses or that mainly French and Swiss cheeses? It does apply to English cheeses, actually. For example, down in the West Country, there is a cheese called Beanley Blue, which is sheep's milk blue and made to a Roquefort recipe, quite far adapted from a Roquefort recipe. It's got a much more fudgy flavour and has a, a more delicate, less punchy flavour than a good Roquefort has. But it is beautiful, and because they've always operated on a fairly small basis... When the sheep stop producing milk, which they do mid-late summer, and then there's a period where they have to wait before the next crop of lambs come through, and so the milk dries up. In fact, actually, that's also the case for Humphrey Errington's blue cheese, Lanark Blue in Scotland, and they found a creative way round of dealing with it by inventing a, a blue cheese made with goat's milk because the goats have a longer milking season, so the, they only did it, apparently, to safeguard the jobs for their workers so they can work all year round rather than having to be laid off in the summer months. So it's really nice when you hear stories like that, you've got a cheesemaker who is as caring and you know has a sense of responsibility both towards the animals and the product that he's making but also towards the people who are making it and I, I really love that circular connection of co-care and responsibility I think it's such a good thing to have because I remember in lockdown there was quite an issue about supporting British cheesemakers wasn't there there absolutely was Sue I thought to start with I thought well that'll be fine you know I think people will still buy but of course so many other elements of the industries that support cheesemakers either just kind of completely closed down for example all the the food to go people the restaurants the hotels and all that kind of hospitality trade that was just like a much bigger slice of the cake than anybody I think had ever really thought about unless you're in marketing and, and number crunching certainly it, it took us by surprise and we had a number of phone calls from um, some of our key suppliers just sort of checking out whether we were still open and I 
definitely detected a sort of a note of anxiety in the voice uh, from the other end of the phone and we we did our absolute best to work right the way through that was really hard because we very quickly realized that we couldn't have people in the shop while we were doing all the phone and telephone orders at the time we didn't have a full full on website so it was just uh, we were offering gifts gift packs from the website the cheesemakers were in quite a, a state of high anxiety it turned out and that you will be aware of the uh, the british cheese weekender uh, thing that happened in in may i think that was i was just so humbled by how people in the street who may not have thought much about you know whether their cheese came from france or italy or, or england they just knew what they liked and they were carrying on happy to eat it all of a sudden people saying yes i want to support british cheesemakers what have you got that's british so that was really good and between 30 and 40 percent of our cheeses are from you know artisan dairies in the uk less so from ireland but wales and scotland and england are definitely definitely up there we're working towards extending that we've had several phone calls since lockdown from very beautiful sounding cheese producers really looking forward to being able to explore and extend our british selections and that's lovely and of course we're in the first week of love british food fortnight and what better way to enjoy that than actually tasting and buying some british cheeses fantastic so i think you're going to allow me to have a tasting so we've got um, welsh caffili which is from carmarthenshire so that's a proper organic milk caffili made to a traditional recipe by a fourth generation of cheesemakers so they've got a real history behind them this is from southeast england and this is called lord of the hundreds and it's, it's an aged sheep milk cheese so think manchego but nice milk Mm. and this is what we're finding a lot of british cheesemakers are doing a kind of like looking at particular styles of cheese and then working with their their milk supply to recreate those kind of things so for example you have any number of camembert type cheeses including baron bygod they do a small version there's the bath soft and then increasingly people are venturing out so one of our cheesemakers is just about to launch something akin to a reblochon a bit larger i think reblochon raclette but from from suffolk so that's in early early october so um we're looking forward to that so yeah so here's our answer to raclette and then we've got dollas which is from the same same stable as the uh, as the kafili dollas means blue pearl in welsh and it's a blue sheep's milk cheese dollas is sheep blue so this is from the same stable as uh, from the Corsknoth uh, dairy and this is a relatively new cheese and we love it because it's the closest we've found to Roquefort. It's got the smooth creaminess, it's still got some very British herbaceous kind of flavours as well but it has got a very smooth even quality and very creamy like Roquefort would be. Um, so yes that's what I found in the <laughs> cupboard and then so you can do plain, you can do plain with biscuit or you can do biscuit with cheese and accompaniment these are really big at the moment this one has got a little bit of fig and apple chutney which we make here nice. not here in the building but mm. in my kitchen so that's made from locally grown normally windfall apples and figs the apple cider vinegar that i use comes from a good friend who's got an orchard i really like the kind of clean mm. this is like a clean basic easy eating cheese you know there's no messing around with it it's nothing it's nothing fancy but it's very well made it's got lovely lovely kind of good like cheesy cheesy lactic qualities mm. so it's a good one to have with I mean, it's a great one to have with plowmans and with those local grown apples and stuff it's got a really nice texture yeah. it's not overwhelming in flavor no. but it's got a lovely background flavor no no it's good mm. yes it's got for me that actually this it's beginning to we need to probably crack on with selling this one because it's got i can be i'm beginning to start tasting a little bit of a kind of a sharp background 
beat to mm. it, which is not unpleasant. Mm. But when it's when it's very young, that that's it's much more kind of mild and lactic. This is right. starting to gather a bit of a bit of age, which is fine for cheese, which but it changes its flavour. It really does. So, and this is the other thing that we find so interesting when you're when you're selling cheeses is that people come in and they they've had it before, so they think they're going to get the same again. Their regular customers, they're starting, you know, they start to understand after a few visits that cheeses do change. You know, literally from batch to batch, they'll change and mm. seasons to season and it's sort of the opposite of a sort of stereotypical this is exactly mm. what you're getting all the time type of product. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I'm glad I paired it with the um, the fig mm. chutney. Fig chutney has a little bit of nice. sweetness to it. I've got some other ones mm. which are more sharp, which would go better with something like a, like a, a full-flavoured cheddar, like the Isle of Marl or the, the Lincoln Chipotle. Both of those have really kind of like... Yeah. sharp tingly mm-hmm. flavours on mm-hmm. the oh, I always get it in the lower jaw I don't know yes, how the people yes. do <laughs> uh, this is the thing I'm, we're just starting to play with it's like you think sweet and sour is quite a classic combination in cheese sweet and slightly lactic does the same sort of thing because there's a little bit of sort of acidity there which is akin to the sourness uh, it's not conversely when you've got a very strong umami sort of flavours from things like the aged Lincoln Chipotas that we the one we've got open at the moment is uh, just over two years old and that's really mellow and then the kind of bite comes up and, and bites you, you. <laughs> literally <laughs> and that's got really really lovely tingly sort of flavors and with those you can pair them with a sharper style of, of chutney but they also work really well with high sweet elements so things like honey truffle honey and cheese that's a thing in the continent less well known here it's a good thing to mix with mm. and then you have all this you know local tradition of fruit growing in east anglia chivers Fruit mm. growing fruit producers, they made great use of their um, their orchards by orchard excess by making jams. That's how the business started. Mm. But those like the tradition of making fruit cheeses, like things like membrio, yes, but with English hedgerow fruits or English um, orchard fruits even. So you can do the same thing with um, I do a, a softer membrio with apple and a little bit of plum in there to give it some extra pectin, and then you can flavour that towards the sweeter end of the spectrum with like you know your christmas spices things like nutmeg and uh, cinnamon or you can just make it a little bit on the sharper side to kind of closer reflect the style of membrio where you've got sweetness but you've also got acidity upping the kind of cider the cider element of it so i use cider vinegar or cider or straight cider depends on what i've got available um, but you end up with a nice sort of soft textured spread that goes really well with, with those chopped cheeses. So. I'd say the next one you should go for is the Lord of the Hundreds. Mm. That's a sheep. So this is a sheep's milk cheese. And uh, this one ages really well, I think. Ooh. It's a raw milk, sheep's milk, mm. traditional runner. And there's a kind of like a crumbly, fudgy quality about it. That is really nice. Isn't it? I mean, I love Manchego, but this is like a sort of yeah. neighbour of Manchego. It, yes, mm. it, really, it really is. I think... I think, again, um, on the continent, the sheep's milk cheeses seem to have more of a, a floral quality about them, whereas here in the UK, the, the grassy tones really dominate. I think that must be to do with, historically, we've had a lot higher rainfall than they have in, in certainly in upland Spain, mm-hmm. where the manchego's made. The, therefore, the pasture the, the sheep are feeding on tends to be like wetter and lusher. And more more green and more grass because mm. that's what we have. But over there, they would be grazing on a, an upland in the Mancha, La Mancha region, mm. is known for its short-growing aromatic type plants, things like marjoram, rosemary, all of those slightly thick-skinned yes. plants. You know, that's what they eat, so they go really well. So this is a nod to Manchego. The pairing mm. is a fig and almond, membrillo style, pressed mm. fruit. So this is Spanish, and you would normally have 
Paul nuts and dates. Yeah, so fig and date. So this is like um, this is quite a traditional thing that they don't actually pair this with cheese. They normally have this in in Spain. Um, I've only ever been served this as like a little slab to have with coffee, sharp black coffee. So something sweet to go with your oh, your strong espresso style coffee in the morning. Uh, but we find it goes well mm. with with different cheeses. And I just thought, well, Spanish and English. Mm. And it's, it's playing around with that sweetness, babe. Of course, the other end of the accompaniment spectrum would be things like pickles. And so I think that most people are kind of familiar with the kind of cornichon stroke dill pickle, mm. which goes very well with the sort of gruyere styles of cheese. And also with the cheddars, the um, red Leicester is a good one to have with a cornichon. It's got sort of buttery, creamy overtones in there. Sharpness of the pickles really cut through it. But we're increasingly starting to sell uh, pickled cherries and pickled pears which you don't need very much of just like one of those pickle a little jar of pickled pears you would probably only need one pear per four people because you'd slice it up into manageable chunks slices even and then serve it with your cheese board on the side i think this is the, an element of what's new and interesting about the british cheese scene at the moment we've got on the one hand we've got all these cheesemakers who are like oh my god i've got to find myself a new resilient place to operate from that isn't so reliant on on the restaurant and re- and the hospitality trade at the moment although i know that they would welcome them back as soon as as soon as they're able to and then you've got other people who are not making very much as a dairy farmer or i've just given up my job in the city because it was doing my head in and i don't really fancy going back now all this has happened and people are setting up learning how to make cheese people going down that route who've been have gone for a midlife change of, of mm. career and spent a few years working alongside cheesemakers who know what they're doing and then they've branched out and making quite successful jobs of, of making their own cheeses we're seeing a lot more of that sort of happening so this is the um dollas uh, blue sheep's milk mm. from wales Ooh. quite sharp wow oh, I like that. Sharp, isn't it? Mm. Mm. gosh that is very rock for mm, yeah mm. I like it. Yeah, they're quite. Yeah, that's, that's interesting actually because the last time I had Rockfall, it had that. It was big on the front attack. You put it in your mouth and it's quite. Oh, you know, you have a piece of mm. something, something strong in your mouth, and then it kind of gently fades. Whereas this one is almost the other way around. It kind of builds once you've, mm. once you've chewed it. That is lovely. And what is this paired with? So this is paired with a uh, French jam. That was completely by accident. Oh, jam, that's really good. So this is a cherry jam. And the, I don't know if you ever noticed when you look at jams in this country, there's a kind of basic thing that you put as much sugar in as you need to get a set. That is starting to change. There's some really interesting jam makers around. One of them is the Single Variety Company. Small jars of very particular variety fruit jams. Single Variety Company are doing what the French have done for years, which is like use as little sugar as you can get away with and preserve the quality and the flavour profile of the fruits and so with cherries when you eat a fresh cherry there is mm. some acidity there there's sweetness but there's also acidity and because there's low pe- there's no hardly any pectin in cherries um, it can be difficult to recreate that cherry sweetness and acidity in in the jam and so various ways you can do it I personally if I'm making cherry jam I like to put some I like to kind of keep my cherries back to the 11th hour the end of the season and make the jam using a little bit of early cherries from early um, cherry plums from the hedgerows and cherry plums are the wild plums they're quite small quite yes. tart make fantastic jam mm-hmm. because they're really high in pectin so you don't need many to mix with your cherries and then you get, get enough pectin to make the set without having to really cook the cherries until they're dead. <laughs> does it work with the cherry jam? Do it think? does. It's yeah. really nice. Yes, it's excellent. Mm. So that cherry jam is actually a French version. It's just a um, confiture de criot, mm-hmm. French for cherries, mm-hmm. and we sell industrial quantities of it. So, oh, These are really, really interesting cheeses, and I gather you are doing a 
cheese tasting, a Zoom cheese tasting. We've got um, one of the Worshipful Company of Cutlers, who are knife makers. We're sending out tasting packs to the members that have signed up for it and then uh, talk them through the cheeses that they've got. So uh, it'll be quite interesting because my colleagues are doing another one for some students on the same day. It's um, a pleasure to talk to you about all the varieties mm. of English cheeses. Mm. So thank you very much, Jackie. You're welcome. And that was Jackie. And if you want to find more about British Food Fortnight, go to lovebritishfood.co.uk slash britishfoodfortnight2020. And also, if you want to learn more about cheese, one of their stakeholders is the Academy of Cheese, academyofcheese.org. Time for some more news now, and many congratulations to Alison Wright, Tim Hayward, and everybody connected with Fitzbillies on its 100th anniversary, which is on the 4th of October. And their book, which came out last year, tells the story of Fitzbillies with some marvellous historic photographs as well as recipes. It's on sale at their cafes and in local bookshops. We'll have a look back at Fitzbillies in our next edition. The Sea Tree in Mill Road has opened up its indoor area for eating. You'll need to book, though, but you can do this via their website. Maison Clement in Derby Street has opened its cafe. There are two tables for two and one for up to six people, all well-spaced. At Thirsty Tonight in Chesterton Road, it's Road Dog's second outing of the day. Foodstuff, which delivers food to you by bicycle and which gives restaurant owners a far better deal than the big delivery companies such as Deliveroo, is continuing to add new names to their list. Recently added R.L. Casbar in Mill Road, Doppelganger in Regent Street and Taj Tandoori in Cherry Hinton Road. Foodstuff delivers from 9.30am to 9pm Wednesdays to Sundays. You can order via their website. And Amelie Flancouche, makers of the Skinny Pizza, which you can find at the Food Social Quarter of the Grafton Centre, are delivering their Flancouche flat pack all across Cambridgeshire. Each order feeds four people, and toppings choices include trois fromage, goat's cheese and beetroot, mushroom, margarita and pulled pork. And if that sounds good to you, you can call Alex at Amelie Restaurants to order. His number is 07834 554 602. And the new taproom at Calverley's Brewery is open on Hooper Street. The Calverley brothers, Sam and Tom, who began their brewery journey about six years ago, are also teaming with Scots All Day, who will be delivering their pizzas to your table in the Calverley's Tap Room on Hooper Street. They're open all day today, Saturday until 10pm, and are also doing takeout beers and home deliveries, if you prefer, which is all on their website, calverleys.com shop. Now, as well as being an extraordinary year because of COVID-19, the weather has been pretty extraordinary too. And it's had its effect on growers, as Dave Fox told Alan when they met last week under the flight path of Cambridge Airport. Normal pattern of the seasons seems to have gone out of the window. I started growing 20-odd years ago, and you could sort of plan and you could follow the schedule, the planting schedule in the books, and most things happen, and it would be you get sun for a week, and then a couple of days of rain, a couple of more weeks of sun. Can't rely on that anymore at all now. So this year we had, well, think back to February, that was actually extraordinarily wet. But then we had a very long, warm, even hot spring. Very, very dry. And the effect of that uh, for the growers here was that we were really struggling to get seedlings established. So you put seedlings in the ground, and if you didn't water them every day, they were going to get baked. And similarly for seed sown direct into the ground, 
that wouldn't germinate unless you gave it a real good soaking for, for a few days and then after it germinated well <laughs> what are you going to do you've got to carry on you've got to carry on watering um, our soil here is very light sandy loam with gravel under, underneath and so it drains quite quickly so that makes that problem even worse um, and that long dry period especially following from the year before 2019 when Cambridge had a, several long hot dry spells and actually broke the uh, England or UK temperature record at the Botanic Garden just yes, up the road. Did. So, yeah, I remember. You know, so I mean, go Cambridge, you know, leading the way <laughs> in climate change. 38.7 degrees, that was. Um, and the year before 2018, we had a very long, hot, dry summer. So these, um, these long dry periods have prompted the committee here at Foster Road Allotments to look into some serious rainwater storage. And we're going to invest in several what we call super butts. So we're talking about um, water butts with capacity of several thousand litres, which will be communal water stores. Um, obviously, it's quite an investment, and we've got to find out exactly exactly how to do it. But we think that we really need that because we're using a lot of potable water through our mains water supply. We're monitoring that now, and it's astonishing. We get to several thousand litres a day when it's really hot, and this, this is just too much. It's not sustainable. We all know about the... The um, draining of the chalk aquifers that are, um, you know, this 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 region is particularly dry, and the chalk streams are under real threat because we're we're just extracting so much water. And then, uh, and then the second half of this summer was uh, more um, intermittent, warm and wet, and then wet periods. So that's been uh, rather easier to manage for, for growers. But um, even in those circumstances, having these large water collectors will be really beneficial mm. because it will give us the opportunity to use rainwater instead of mains water. And that's got to be good. So people who can't water every day in, mm. in drought conditions, uh, they must have lost quite a lot of, the, of their crops then? I think they have, although... Um, because of the uh, pandemic and lockdown, lots of people being on furlough, I think actually m many of our members have had more time to get to the allotments. And overall, our site is looking better used, more cultivated than I can remember. But yeah, if you can't get there to water every day, then that, is, that will be mitigated if you have more moisture retentive soil. Right, so how do you how do you get more water retentive soil? These are tips for next year, really, aren't they? To prepare well, your soil. Yeah, I mean, it's um, what you want to do is add more organic matter some, somehow or other, so that there's absorbent stuff. So your soil acts a bit more like a sponge overall, and this means adding compost, uh, manure, um, fresh weeds, um, any organic matter you can get your hands on. Really, I mean, I mean, I you know. I'm obsessed with this. I save everything. I, my neighbours bring me their grass clippings. Um, you know, my toenails, my hair. When I get cut, when I get my hair cut, I get a carrier bag. Comes back from Peppy's on East Road. They sort of see me coming. They've got a carrier bag <laughs> and, the, and the dustpan and brush ready. Any organic matter you can get your hands on, as long as it's not diseased, then um, put it in. I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. Wouldn't get the hair from a hairdresser that uses a lot of hair product, for example. Mm. You don't know. You don't know what that is. But yeah, I mean, save, save you we. Um, and we had a delivery of uh, hay from the Trumpington Meadows Nature Reserve, which is just a few hundred yards away, actually. So our good friends at the Wildlife Trust brought us 52 hay bales, freshly cut, lovely stuff. And that will allow our plot holders to mulch, which 
will slowly rot down and we're using nature to help us here because you don't have to dig this stuff in right. you just put it on the ground and let the earthworms do the do the work and everybody else the whole community of of creatures that uh, form part of the soil so um, that so that helps with the water retention and also presumably with fertility as well yeah absolutely because it's biomass it's got the nutrients it is plants so it breaks down it forms the complex chemicals in the soil that can feed that can feed new plants so yeah and mulching is a is a triple whammy really because it uh, it doesn't just add water retention and uh, fertility but it, it stops weeds growing or to an extent it stops weeds growing um because it's freshly harvested hay it might bring in lots more seeds of course <laughs> <laughs> um that's that's interesting it also brings wildlife we found we find wasp spiders in the in the hay from Trumpington meadows and they're i mean no doubt there's lots of other species in there but those are the ones you notice because they're so they're so um visible and surprising the first time you the first time you see one mm. um but yeah, this uh, this hay and also and, and straw and you can use cardboard, weigh it down with other stuff. Any anything that's uh, clean and organic, put it on put it on top, and don't worry too much about digging it in. If you're leaving it there for six months, the the, the worms and everybody else will, will play their part right. and take it into the soil. What about growing things over over mm-hmm. winter? To I mean, obviously that's good because you mm-hmm. could, you've got a harvest in the spring, mm-hmm. but also presumably it keeps down weed growth. Uh, yes, so I mean everything grows more slowly in winter. I mean when the day length gets below about ten days to ten hours, then you're not seeing a lot of growth. So that means that that now end of September is really the last chance to get certainly get seeds in the ground mm. um, because you want to you want the soil still to be warm enough for them to germinate and just get a little bit of growth on a bit of bit of root growth. So actually right behind you, Alan, there's some. You can see some rows of radish, which I sowed a month ago, and we've just started eating those, so that's great. So that's that's um, you can, radish works well in the spring, and it also works well in the autumn. It's not so good in the high summer because it, tend, it tends to bolt with the hot, dry conditions. Um, but also in between those radish, I've got rows of uh, winter spinach, which I've planted out, and that's a really good winter crop because I'll hopefully get a picking off it. Um, during October and then it'll survive through the winter and we'll be able to harvest again in uh, March and, and, and April. So winter spinach is a, is a very very rewarding crop. And I would say if you're thinking of um, sowing seed outside do it right now. Right. Because there's not much time left. But large seeds like broad beans can Absolutely, go in late. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. They can so, go in yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so broad beans are an exception. Other things that can go in a little bit later are the um, overwintering alliums, so onion sets and garlic cloves so i would usually plant those in october so what about what i would do is get the get the beds ready so i know i know where they're going um even mark out the even mark out the rows so I, and it will it will grow quite happily through october and november get the get the roots down and then we start eating spring onions in march and what about lettuce can't you grow lettuce over mm-hmm. winter yeah you can so again it's time definitely time to get the um overwintering lettuce in i've mm. sown some i'll hopefully sow more a bit more in the next week or so but don't don't delay because as i say it's got to have some warmth in the soil yeah in order to um get it to germinate there's a number of um varieties which are um winter well there's one called winter density uh another one um what's it called um 
Winter Imperial, so that includes in the name, you know, it's mm. going to be hardy. Marvel of Four Seasons is, is relatively hardy. That's that's, that's, a, that's mm. a reddish one. That's really nice. I never hear of people putting potatoes in early. Is does that not work? When I say early, I mean you know in autumn. Well, okay. So you do see advertised some um, potatoes for Christmas use. So the idea would be to plant them August, September, and um, and they produce a presumably rather small crop for, for the Christmas table. I've not, I've not done that. That reminds me, by the way, this is the time of year to get your potatoes up if you've got any potatoes in the ground. I mean, I mean the, the whole point of this is to, is to harvest some food, so don't leave them in thinking that they're safe underground because as the weather gets wetter in the autumn, which it, well, it has done already this year, then the, especially when it's still a little bit warm, the slugs are going to find your potatoes and start eating them. And of course, everything we've been talking about so far relates to growing outdoors. If you've got a greenhouse or a polytunnel or a windowsill, south-facing windowsill, you can grow crops, little crops, that um, you couldn't do. You couldn't do outside. So you, you know you, you're really lucky if you've got that, and you know, don't yeah. forget to use it. So your um, sowing and planting times are longer in a, in a greenhouse or, or a polytunnel and uh, you could certainly expect uh, good salads all the, all the way through if you, if you, if you want to get the, get the timings right. Make several sowings and uh, then you can pick salad all the way through. Yeah, I want to get a greenhouse. I've given up my plot in the community polytunnel here at Foster Road Allotments because I've got health problems and it's, it's too far for me to walk now. But I am hoping to get a small greenhouse for my, for my own use. And um, yeah, really, really looking forward to that. I did put one up on the allotments many years ago, but it blew down. Oh, right. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to build it, build it a bit stronger this time. Okay. Right. Thanks very much, Dave. It's my pleasure, Alan. Thank you. And that was Dave Fox from Trumpington Allotments in Foster Road. <laughs> And that music normally signals time for the latest food tweets from the city for today, Saturday. And there's not much we can report here because lockdown has forced us to pre-record this episode. But we do know that Food Park is running on Saturday over at Eddington Market Square until 2pm. And amongst other great food trucks, you'll find Kurakura, who make hot, fresh Sri Lankan and southern Indian street food. And other vans include Road Dogs and VG Coffee. So apart from that, we'd just like to remind you that as well as being on Twitter, Flavour can be found on Instagram too, at Flavour105. Heading into familiar territory once again, that is Green Onions, which signals the start of our jobs section. Thrive in Norfolk Street is looking for a sous chef and a chef de partie. Apply online at thrivecambridge.co.uk slash vacancies. A senior chef with five years experience is required at Sancton Woods School. This is during term time. It's down St Paul's Road, behind St Paul's Church, which is on Hills Road. It's £12 per hour, Monday to Friday. Uh, pension, sick pay, and you can find the job on the website holroydhow.com forward slash vacancies. That's Holroyd Howe, Howe with an E, H-O-W-E. A part-time pasta chef is required at Nono's Pasta, 9 to £10 pounds per hour, in the CB1 area, whilst a position for a pizza chef is open at Vivenzo's Pizza, also part-time and the same hourly rate. 
If you'd like to apply for one of these positions, you can find the application form at indeed.co.uk. Just set your keyword as chef and the location is Cambridge and you'll find it. Food Cycle provides lunches and dinners to those who are hungry and lonely all across the country. They're currently seeking check-in phone volunteers. Now this role involves chatting with guests after their Food Cycle delivery, seeing how the food parcels were received. This is a key link to people living in isolation and the conversation can be seen as just as important as the food that's been delivered to them. So you will need to be confident in talking to strangers, you need to have access to the internet and following training you'll be expected to make four calls a week at 15 to 20 minutes per phone call. This all helps to ensure Food Cycle's delivery service runs as smoothly as possible. And if that sounds good, you can register your interest via their website, foodcycle.org.uk. Just click on the Get Involved button, which is at the top of their homepage. A position for a sushi chef is available at Sushi Gourmet on Coldham's Lane. This is part-time on contract, up to £9 an hour with pension scheme, free meals during shift and promotion possibilities. If you'd like to apply, you can find the application form on indeed.co.uk. A full-time cafe manager is required at Scottsdale's in Great Shelford. You can find out more at scottsdalesgardencentre.co.uk forward slash vacancy forward slash cafe manager. Or you can just email your CV to their recruitment team, recruitment at scottsdales.com. And Restaurant 22 on Mitcham's Corner are looking for a part-time kitchen porter to join their team. If you fancy working with Sam, Alex and the team, then pop an email to alex at restaurant22.co.uk for more information. In food news now, the Queen's Head in Newton will be back open on Sundays from October the 4th. And what's a little bit special is that they will be regarding these Sundays as Queen's Head Street Food Days. Kicking off with a massive paella, courtesy of Azahar Spanish Food Van, with mixed chicken and seafood. There will also be a vegetarian option as well, and that'll be available to eat in or take away, at a cost of £7 per person, cash only. Azahar are also endorsed by fellow Food Van compatriots, the Wandering Yak. They've described Azahar as making the very best veggie paella. And in a final bit of news, the Cambridge Fruit Company, who do fruit and veg subscription boxes, have a £5 off code for your next two boxes, if you subscribe to their service. Just use the code CAMBRIDGE10 at the checkout on their website, which is cambridgefruitcompany.com. And that's all we have time for today. We're here on alternate Saturdays at 12pm, repeated on Sunday at 2pm, and again on Mondays at 6pm. There's also the podcast early next week. Coming up next on Cambridge 105 Radio Today is Ollie Slack with the Cambridgeshire Football Show. Then at two, it's Bookmark with Lee Chambers. What you might have missed is here at three, a weekly look at the big talking points in the city and South Cambridgeshire, as well as guests who've been on air at the Cambridge 105 Radio over the last seven days. Tim Willett is back at 4pm with the new music generator featuring the latest local and unsigned music and this time an interview with singer-songwriter Ollie Bond. At 6 o'clock, it's two hours of Chris Brown's Soul and Dance Show, followed by Non-Stop at 8, which stops at 9, because Paul Cristoforo is here with another episode of Rock of Ages. And the day's broadcasting concludes with Mr. Dave Price and his show Club Beats. So, that's all from us, and we will be back on the 10th of October. Until then... Goodbye. Goodbye.